Well, good morning, NCC. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? It's good to see you here. And if you're our guest, once again, we just want to welcome you. If this is your first time to NCC, or if you're watching this for the first time later this week online, we want to say thank you so much for joining us. And if I haven't met you yet, my name is Pastor Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here at New Community Church. And we're glad that you're with us. We're a church that's passionate about making people and places new. And our prayers that you would experience some of the newness of God this morning and that your life would be changed in an exciting way as you draw closer to Christ. And so we're glad that you're with us. And we are in our second week of this series called First Peter. And over these weeks, we're walking kind of verse by verse, highlighting different verses of the book of the Bible called First Peter. And so we started last week by just quickly explaining this is a letter that was written by one of Jesus' disciples. This was one of the 12 young men that followed Jesus around, saw him open the eyes of the blind, saw him um, do miraculous things and heal people, um, saw his death and resurrection. And a few decades later, Peter is writing a letter. And he's writing a letter to um, a group of churches. They're kind of in a region, region of what's modern day Turkey. And they would have read that letter in a setting just like this. And then they would have passed that letter on. And so in the first 12 verses, that's where we were last week, 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, we talked about how God has saved us. Jesus has saved us. And Peter's reminding the church, Jesus has saved you. And that makes a difference inside of your life. It makes an impact. Your life should look different. And so no matter what you're going through, remember you're a citizen of heaven. And when you face trials, remember that God's salvation is there for you. And so today we're going to continue that letter. If you have your Bibles, open them up um, once again this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to start reading at verse 13. And if you didn't bring a Bible, you can reach in front of you. There's a blue Bible. You can take it out to page 588. And I want to encourage you, you can write in the margins. You can highlight stuff when I tell you to highlight stuff. Um, if you've got your smartphone out, you can highlight on your smartphone and take notes. But we want to look at this theme that Peter is presenting as he continues this letter. And as I was thinking about this and I was reading this section, I've read it a number of times this past week. I thought about a moment whenever I was 18 years old. This is going to be a really honest story here this morning, Okay. I was 18 years old. It was right before I went off to Bible college, and I was living in Oklahoma at the time. And so I got up on a Friday morning. The church that I was a part of had a food pantry. So I got there early, helped um, set up stuff in the food pantry. Families were coming through. We were giving groceries out. I was carrying groceries to the car. It was a hot summer day. Not as hot as Texas, but Oklahoma still gets pretty hot. So I'm drenched in sweat. Okay, 18 years old, I'm drenched in sweat. And then after we cleaned up stuff, some of the guys wanted to play basketball. So we go outside, I'm playing basketball for almost an hour. And then I was supposed to meet my girlfriend at that time um, for lunch. And so I'd brought an extra change of clothes. I go into the bathroom, it's a smaller bathroom. The church was a little bit smaller. And so I walk into this bathroom and I notice something smells really bad in that bathroom. And, and so I think, man, they need to get someone to clean this up. Like what's going on? I was peeking in the stalls, like, did someone forget to flush or something? Because it was just really bad until I arrived at this moment of realizing it's not something in the bathroom, you guys. It's me. Now, I'm 18 years old, but this is the first time I realized, hey, people stink whenever they sweat. I don't know how I got to 18 without anyone telling me that. But in that moment, I had a panic moment. Like, what if I've smelled for the past few years and no one said anything? 
Like, what if people are just being nice? And so I'm there in this church bathroom with my shirt off. I'm taking a bath, like the hand soap, right? I'm using hand sanitizer, putting it in my hair, whatever's in there. I'm just trying to get the smell off of me, like as best as I can. And, and I leave and I'm panicked, like, oh no, what if I still stink? Okay, so just being really honest, I had that realization at the age of 18. Um, if we're ever outside, I still like, feel like I carry that with me. So if I don't hug you, not being antisocial, just afraid I smell, okay? And, and no one's going to tell me. So I have this panic moment still. I have moments like that. And that's what Peter is talking about in this. He doesn't use those words, but he's like, hey, there are times in your life and in my life where we stink and we don't know it. And he's saying, you and I, we carry around because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because many times we ignore the voice of God, we carry the stench of death around with us, spiritual decay. And we don't know it. We're ignorant to that fact. But he begins to challenge the church and remind them, hey, God has saved you and he wants to cleanse you. He's trying to do something in your life. It's this term that theologians, and depending on what Bible you have, you may see a header kind of in bold that says sanctification of the believers or sanctification. It's this process of God trying to cleanse the stinkiness out of our life, of trying to purify us, of trying to make us more like him. And so that's the theme of today. God is working to cleanse us so we can reflect him to the world around us. God is working to cleanse us. That's God's desire in our life. He's trying to purify us and make us clean so we reflect him to the world around us. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, this is where he starts at here in this section. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace that is to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And then look at this. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. What he's, what's he saying? You didn't even know it, but your life stunk, okay? You were smelly and you were living in the spiritual decay and, that's, and you didn't know any of that, but don't live like that any longer. You've been made aware. And so just as you just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Once again, if you have your Bibles, highlight that, underline that. So be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And that's God speaking to his people. So what's Peter saying? He's saying, hey, there are many of you, you were walking around, all of us at one point, we were spiritually dead. Once again, we were carrying around that smell of spiritual decay in our life. It was affecting the other people around us. We didn't know it. We didn't see the consequences of our actions, but we were carrying sinful life and evil desires with us. And Peter's saying, hey, don't live like that anymore. You need to wake up. You need to be aware of how your life was. And you need to begin to reflect the life and the love of Christ. This is part of God's process of cleansing us. And I love how Peter does this. He doesn't say, okay, church, let me give you this long list of rules, okay? Let me write down all of these things that are sinful, and I'm going to give you this checklist, and I want you to follow them. He doesn't go through this list of behaviors. He simply says it like this. Be holy as your heavenly father is holy. Imitate him. Let your life reflect the goodness of God. Don't worry about the checklist or this long list of rules. Just start to think, how can I reflect my heavenly father? Because he doesn't want it to be about a law. 
This isn't a new law you have to follow. This isn't some list of rules. No, he's saying, just reflect the goodness of God. Be imitators of Christ. Have you ever seen this kind of in the natural world, how this takes place? I was thinking through this as I was reading this verse. And whenever our kids were little, I would be in the living room and I'd be working out, right? And I had these like 10-pound dumbbells. And Jaron, our little guy, would run into the pantry and grab a can of corn. And he'd come and sit by me. Have you ever seen little kids do this? And he just wanted to be doing what I was doing. And so he'd say, look at my muscles, dad. Okay, working out those muscles like you. And he'd be lifting this can of corn. It was not as heavy as the 10-pound weight I had, but he just wanted to be like me. He just wanted to do what I was doing. I was remembering whenever um, Sarah, whenever our kids were a lot younger and Sarah would pull out her guitar, Josiah, one of our little guys, he had one of those little wooden guitars. It only had three strings. It was never tuned, okay? And it had these knobs that you would turn, but he'd sit by his mom and he'd strum. Every time she'd strum, he'd say, look at me, mom, I'm playing the guitar. It sounded bad, you guys, okay? Not gonna lie, did not sound pleasant, but he just wanted to be like his mom. He was trying to imitate her. And that's what Peter is saying. Hey, you're not gonna get it perfect. You and I, we're not God but we should be like those little children that are saying, look at me, God, I'm trying to reflect you. I'm trying to imitate you. God, I may not always get it right. It may not sound as good as your life or as amazing or as holy, but God, I'm trying. I'm trying to imitate you. And in everything that I do, in my speech, in my actions, in my thought process, in the way that I treat other people, I want them in my life to see the goodness of God and to see the holiness of God. Peter is reminding the church, God's doing a work inside of you. And this isn't about a list of rules. You need your life to reflect your heavenly fathers. God is cleansing you. And so live a life like his, be imitators of God. Be holy in everything that you do in every part of your lifestyle. And so we've talked about this before. Whenever we look at our life, whenever we're looking at how we live, we want to be very clear. This is not, can I earn my salvation? We do not talk about in this church, can I be good enough to cancel out the bad that I've done? That's not how this works. That's not what Peter's talking about. He's not talking about, can I do enough to work off the bad deeds that I've done? What he's saying is, is, hey, we have a gracious heavenly father. We have a loving God. And because of his love that he's demonstrated to us, it pulls out of us. It calls to us that we would live a life that's different, that our life would represent him because we love him so much. We just want to be like him. We're trying to imitate who he is. We're trying to be that example that he's calling us to. And so Peter reminds the church, this is what you're called to do. This is how you're called to live. Imitate your heavenly father. He goes on in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's, each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. We talked about that last week to remind ourselves we're citizens of heaven. For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from this empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Listen, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He's saying Jesus gave his life for you. 
Jesus went to the cross. He paid the price of your sin and my sin. Our salvation was bought by the precious lamb of God because God chose to wrap himself up in flesh and to live here on this earth and to walk among us and to show to us and demonstrate the love of God. Realize that's what your salvation costs. That's why we live separately. That's why we live different is because of the price that has been paid. Now, immediately, the people that Peter is writing to, that would have invoked an image because all the time they would have seen individuals walk past the temple, these places of worship to all of these Greek and Roman gods, and they would take out some silver coins and they would drop them in the temple treasury. And the reason why you would give money for those people in that custom is you were trying to earn the favor of God. You were trying to atone for maybe sinfulness or something you had done wrong. And maybe the gods were mad at you. Maybe the gods were angry at something that you've done. You didn't know, you couldn't tell. And so you'd try to buy your way out of it with some silver or gold coins. And Peter's saying, that's not going to do anything. That stuff's going to rust. It's going to fade. Someone can come in and can steal that. That's not how your salvation's been paid for. Your salvation has been paid for by the blood of Christ. You didn't do anything to earn this. You didn't do anything to deserve this. This is God knowing that we were broken people, that we needed rescuing. And so he came on his own behalf when we couldn't pay the price. Peter is saying, remember, the price has already been paid for you. Our sin costs something. And sometimes Peter's reminding them, sometimes we forget that our sin has a price to it. And he's challenging them, reflect on what your sin costs. Have you ever stopped and done that? Reflected on what your sin costs? And so you're sitting in a conversation and that coworker, that friend says something amazing and you want to one-up it. And so you tell a little white lie, right? Like it's not gonna hurt anyone. It's not that big of a deal, right? Like I've done that. And hey, I, I actually did this. And they're like, wow, you did? Man, that's so cool. That's amazing. And all of a sudden, when you stop and realize, hey, Jesus, I just pronounced your death sentence. In that moment of, wow, that was cool. That's amazing. You've done that. Was it worth Jesus going to the cross for? Like, I want to put him there through my continued actions because of that. You guys, when you're sitting in front of a television and you know you should turn the channel, when you're sitting there on your computer or your phone and you know you shouldn't go to that website, Lord, that's worth Roman soldiers beating your face in and taking handfuls of your beard and pulling them out. Whenever I steal from the company that I work for, I take something that is not mine, I lie, I cheat. Jesus, that's nails going into your hands and your feet. See, my sin and your sin, it costs something. It's not free. And I know you may be sitting there, Aaron, that got dark really fast. And that's what Peter is saying. Hey, your sin, it's gruesome. It's gross. Our evil desires, they stink. And don't ever forget that Jesus had to pay for those. Your sin is not free. Another writer in the Bible said it like this, the paycheck of sin, it's death. When you live in that sinful nature, you're eventually going to get that payday. It is death. That's what's going to be paid. But the gift of God is eternal life. 
And Peter's saying, don't forget how you've been called to live. Don't forget this lifestyle that God is calling you into. It cost someone something. Jesus had to go to the cross. So live in that way that honors Jesus. Live in a way that talks about the magnificent love of God because of the lifestyle that you're living. That's how you're called to live. First Peter chapter, chapter 1 verse 21, he goes on to say, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. You trust in that salvation. That's where you put your hope and faith. Now that you have purified yourself, listen to this, by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Once again, if you have your Bibles, underline that. By obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. I was reading this, and as I read this section a number of times this week, this is probably the part that stood out to me. I love the word sincere. I think I've taught on this before, so we were looking at another part of the Bible, but that word sincere simply means without wax. And what it was is during that time when you had a lot of dishes and things that you would cook with that were made out of pottery, whenever those would break, if you were selling them, you had to figure out what do you do with a broken vase? What do you do with a broken bowl or a broken cup? And so what they would do is they would fill in the cracks with wax. They would melt down the wax. They would kind of mold it in those areas. And then they would paint over it, which wasn't a problem until you went to heat it up on the stove or the outside oven or over the fire because that wax would do what? It would just melt. And everything inside, whatever you were cooking, whatever you were storing, it would be destroyed. It would just fall out. And so owners put on the front of their shops, sincere, without wax. The vessels in this place are pure. And that's what Peter is saying. That's the kind of love that you should have. Not that's going to fall apart. Not that's going to be broken. You love with an authentic love. Your lifestyle is real. It's an original. And God has taken it. And he's made something new and something beautiful of you. That's how you love one another. But what stood out to me is what he's saying is when you obey Christ, that's a demonstration of your love for one another. When you obey the teachings of Jesus and you live like he's challenging you to, that shows how much you love those around you. Now, I've thought, whenever I've thought about sin, and I've said this a lot, hey, we don't, you know, once again, we don't avoid sin. We don't try to get that out of our life. It's not a salvation thing like, hey, God, um, I'm going to earn my salvation. We do it because we love God. But as I read this, I thought, hey, whenever I'm avoiding sin, whenever I'm following God's plan and purpose for my life, it's actually because I love others. It's a demonstration of how much I love you, of how much I love my family, of how much I love the people around me whenever I say no to sin inside of my life. And as I was just meditating and thinking about that verse and what that looks like, I thought, God, how many times I'm living in a sinful way and it's because of my desires, it's because of my wants. I was having lunch with Adam Shelton. Many of you guys know him. He's a part of our church here. And we were eating together and we were talking about this, the struggle of sin. And he said this, he said, Aaron, I'm realizing more and more in my life that sin is just selfishness. That when I'm giving into sin, it's just because I'm doing what I want to do. 
not thinking about other people, not thinking about those around me. In that moment where I'm giving into sin, where I'm giving into that temptation, it's all about me and what I want. And Peter's saying, when you live a life that Christ is calling you to, it demonstrates your love for others. And you just stop and think about that. And when you're in your workplace and the big project's gotten done and the boss calls you in and he says, hey, thank you so much. I wanna give you a raise because of how hard you worked on that. And you know, I really didn't have anything to do with that. In that moment of decision, do I tell him who actually helped complete that project or do I just take the credit and you choose to lie by not saying anything? Who were you thinking about in that moment? All the hard work that other person put in, the time away from their family that they had to expend to get that project done. Are you thinking about the benefit of the company? No, you're thinking about one thing, me, me. Students, when you're in that classroom and the teacher says pop quiz and you realize I did not do the reading last night and you're panicking and you think my friend's sitting next to me, I'll just cheat off them. Who were you thinking about in that moment? You're not thinking about that they didn't play video games or go do what they wanted to. They actually studied. You're thinking about yourself. How can I get ahead in this moment? You're not thinking about how your actions could affect them, how it could damage that relationship. It's all about me. When you flirt with that coworker, when you get on Facebook, you're married, but you try to rekindle an old high school flame. When you open yourself up emotionally to someone that you should not be doing that, Two, because you're being unfaithful to who God has called you to love. Who are you thinking about? Your family? Your spouse? That other person's family or spouse? Their relationships? No, in that moment, you're thinking about yourself. Why? Because sin is selfish. It just wants to look at me. And Peter's saying, wait, you want to demonstrate love for each other? Don't lie to yourself and say, well, we're meeting together for dinner because we love each other. That's not love. That's not what love is. Love says, I don't put my own wants in front of the wants of others. I lay down my desires and I begin to pick up the desires in the will of God. This is how Peter says you should live. God's got a process that he's doing in your life. God's working something in your life. And so many times it's easy for us to just live in a selfish manner, but your sin affects other people. And we talk about this all the time in our house. You can hide it. You can lie to yourself and say, it's just my sin. It doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone in the house. It affects our family. And when you're hiding stuff, there's betrayal now in the relationship. There's a breaking down of trust. Why? Because I want what I want. And Peter's like, that's not what Christ calls you to. He calls you to love one another. And he's challenging us as the church. Wait, start thinking about other people in front of your own wants and your own desires. In front of what, what it is that you want, you place the needs of others. You place what it is that Christ has spoken. And so that's what he's challenging them with. Church, live in this manner. Who are you thinking of? Are you demonstrating the love of God to others or are you just living for yourself? In verse 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and the glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. It's 
so I wish I had more time to stay there. But let me just encourage you. He's saying, hey, open up scripture. Church, read God's word. Because fads are going to come and go. Cultural norms, what's acceptable in America today may not be acceptable tomorrow. And other things that shouldn't be may be acceptable. He's like, all of these things are going to fade in and fade out. They're going to come and go. But the word of God endures. That's how your life should be lived. That's the standard that you and I hold our life to is not what other people say around us. Not do I think I'm better than my neighbor or the person next to me, or at least I'm not doing as bad a stuff as that person is. Like I'm not as horrible as they are. No, he's saying, how does your life measure up with the word of God? And he says, you take it and you plant it like a seed and you see how your faith grows and you see how salvation grows, and you see how the love of God grows in your life, he's saying, make sure the word of God is your foundation, that that's what endures inside of you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice. This is chapter two. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. He said, like a new kid would cry out for milk. He's like, that's your hunger for the word of God. That's your desire for God in your life so that it may grow up in you in salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, the living stone kind of switches illustrations here, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to God. You also are a living stone. You're being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter's saying, you're a spiritual house. The temple and the church is not a building of brick that you go to. It's you. And God's placing you together brick by brick to create this place where his presence can dwell that you are the temple of God where God's presence goes into your workplace, God's presence goes into your school. The presence of God is present at your family reunions and functions and at sporting events. Why? Because you are the church. Peter said, realize that the way that you're living is carrying the presence of God. You're the precious stones that God has chosen. For in scriptures, it says this, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone. He's talking about Jesus here. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that will make them fall. They stumble because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. What's Peter saying here? He's saying, hey, you realize... Jesus should be the foundation of your life. He's the foundation of who you are. I've shared this before, but I love to listen to podcasts. And so when I was reading this, I was thinking back to a podcast. It's called Stuff You Should Know. And they talk about just all this random stuff, but they talked about how the pyramids were built. And they leveled out this ground that they were going to build these pyramids on, these ancient tombs. And they said one of the first things that they did is they chose what was known as a foundation or a cornerstone. They didn't have laser levels and all of this stuff. And so that foundation cornerstone was so pivotal because however you set that was the direction that everything else was gonna go in that building. It was how you were gonna lay the other stones. It, it was pivotal. It was gonna point the direction. It was gonna be how strong the base of that was, that first cornerstone. So you'd look at the one that you wanted. You'd look at the very best one and you'd put it there first. You'd make sure that it was straight. You'd make sure it was positioned exactly how it needed to be 
so that everything else that was going to be built on top of it would be going in the direction that it needed to. And Peter is saying, that's Jesus in your life. You put him as the foundation. He sets the direction. He sets how strong your life is going to be. And he said, I'm cautioning you, church. If you build your actions, if you build your life on anything else, it's going to crawl. It's going to fall. It's going to crumble. It's going to be destroyed. That's not going to last. But if you get a strong cornerstone in your life, you get something that's true. You get something that's precious. And you build everything in your life on that. It's going to stand the test of time. And strong winds may come. And things may knock up against it. And Things may come and go, but it's going to stand because it's built upon Christ. And Peter's reminding them, church, how are you building your life? What's the foundation? Is your life directed in your emotions and what you feel? The way that you live, is it based on what brings pleasure to you or what you think is okay? Or is it built on the foundation of God's word? Is Jesus the cornerstone of your life? Because he said, that's what's going to make it last. That's what's going to make it endure. Let me read these last few verses in this section here. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Everything that Peter's talking about, this way that we live, it's to reflect the goodness of God to the world around us. It's to bring light into this dark world so that they may see who God is. And so he challenges them in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. What's he saying there? He's saying, church, I'm encouraging you. You would live in such a way that people that are like, I don't believe in God. I don't know about that church thing. They would see your life and they would say, maybe he's real because that person's different. I look at the way that they live and it's gotta be a reflection of God. The way that they love others, the way that they serve, the way that they think about the needs of others before their own sinful desires, before evil in their own life, man, they're constantly giving. This has gotta be a reflection of God that they would see your life and they would say, man, I wanna know that kind of salvation. I wanna know that kind of God. I want that inside of my life. Maybe I didn't know about God before, but when I see your life, there's got to be something to this. There's got to be a God that saves people. That's what Peter is saying. Live in that way. Let people see you and start to praise and glorify God because of the way that you're living. Church, once again, this isn't about a list of rules. I'm not bringing to you a list of do's and don'ts. I'm challenging you this morning. Reflect the heart of your heavenly father. Just try to be like him. In everything inside of you, be like him. Don't put your own wants and desires before the wants of others. Love people extravagantly as you obey the teachings of Jesus Christ.